You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've been together. Now, we've uploaded podcasts every week, but we record these things kind of in uh, sets. And uh, we were just talking about this beforehand, but it's been, what, like maybe close to a month since the last time we actually talked to one another? Yes, it has. And very, very sad. I missed you guys terribly. I don't think that's true. I think you were (laughs) totally content to be absent our presence in your weekly life. I might have noticed once or twice. Well, you guys have been, you guys have been traveling, haven't you? You've, uh, I've, I've just been here plodding away, but you guys have been off <laughs> having adventures. That was a nice way of sounding like my father, right there, Martin. <laughs> Somebody's got to well, do it. Somebody's well, got to stay here and keep things rolling. Yeah, Stephen, why don't you tell us about everything you uh, you you successfully hunted while you were out west? Yeah, yeah, that shouldn't take very long. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I have about ten seconds to do that. No, I went. Yeah, I went to Colorado, and actually, we talked about that in one of our episodes previous. Um, but went to Colorado, camped out in a tent for seven days with my brother-in-law. Went out elk hunting, saw elk every day, and didn't kill anything. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So you're a very humane hunter. Yeah. How, how's you your hunting season going, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've 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 hit everything I've shot at. There you go. I don't, think British people are allowed to, I don't think British people are allowed to shoot guns in Pennsylvania, are they? It's been illegal since like 1783 or something. Ooh, <laughs> I love it. I love no, it. Actually, no. I think they fired the first shot and wasn't that what it was? Is that, is that how that worked? No, we didn't start anything. It's like Han Solo. Like we didn't start it, but you know. <laughs> well, no. Did. I love it. I love the J. Frank Norris quote. I never started a fight, but I've been around when a few were finished. I don't believe it. Oh, man. That's a great quote. I don't, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. I don't believe you never started a fight. Um, so, yeah, hunting season. But I will say this both of my boys have uh, successfully harvested does, Wonderful. female deer, and they were very excited. And, and uh, the freezer is, uh, is eh, somewhat full. We've got a, got a couple more goals for the rest of the season. And it's funny how, like, for, for preachers, the, um, the new golf is hunting, right? Mm-hmm. And I I don't golf, as in I don't golf regularly. I, I started golfing because our some guys in our church wanted to put on a golf scramble for our radio ministry. And well, I golf once a year. The first time I went golfing, the guys switched out my golf ball for an exploding golf ball. That was that was cruel and that's funny, intentional. And then, uh, but I, I have I've improved my golf game through Top Golf. You guys ever been to Top Golf? Is that the one where you golf like into a screen? No, no, but it's where they have three levels, multiple levels, and you just sit there and it's like a driving range with contests involved. Everybody has a bay. It's almost like bowling, but golf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to try it, but I don't know if there's anything around here like that. That that should be an issues podcast activity. We should like meet somewhere, top golf, invite all these other preachers to come, and then. Okay, you guys aren't interested. Never mind. All right, moving on. I, I think we'd have more success if we did like a, a shooting um, theme yeah. get together. 
Yeah, well, I, that's what I was getting at is that my I, somebody asked me why I don't golf, and I said, well, if I took up another hobby, then I own guns and golf clubs, things I can be shot and beaten with, and my wife won't have it. So that's why I'm staying away from the golf for now. Do you golf, Tom? I golfed a lot uh, years ago in Pennsylvania. There was a golf course when I pastured in Pennsylvania that would let pastors golf for free during Ooh. the week on Tuesdays. Yeah. So I went every week uh, for several years. And since then, I've schlepped my clubs all over the place, and I've probably golfed since I left Pennsylvania maybe five times, not very often. I, I didn't I didn't think it was acceptable for someone who graduated from Hiles Anderson in the 90s to golf. I thought that was a sin. I've always been an iconoclast, a bit of a rebel. <laughs> He's, he's always uh, rebelled against certain things. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, I don't I, hunt. I, I love outdoors, but hunt. I don't hunt. No, you spend a lot of time outdoors. You 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 do woodworking, or at least construction, right? You. Well, this year I did. I did my deck. That was right. my soul. Yeah. Um, right. But no, I, I I hike. I like to hike. So. Oh yeah, Mississippi musings. Mm-hmm. Tom, you can get in trouble even when you're out in nature hiking. I love it. Yes, <laughs> this is true. I would like to disagree with you, but I cannot. Oh, man. I love it. Well, I hunt. I love to hunt. Uh, and part of the reason I hunt is because it's it's like a it's a reprieve. You know, they say a hobby is something you do where you don't think about work. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I, I do not think about work. And it's sad because people are like, oh, man, Pastor, he goes out hunting and he studies for sermons. He prays in the deer stand. I'm like, yeah, I pray some of the most carnal prayers you've ever heard. Like my most recent prayer was, Lord, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but please send a deer. I'm, I'm dying up here, man. <laughs> but I really don't think about like a lot of stuff, you know, work, whatever, while I'm in the deer stand. I'm pretty much tuned into whatever the squirrels are doing. I think stand, even you when know? you do, I mean, I've, I've only been hunting a few times and it just, you know, I don't like what I'm allowed to shoot. And so it just doesn't have that much appeal for me. Wait, what, what, what does that mean? Oh, you don't like the, the area that yeah, you I, I, hunt well, in? No, no, I don't. I don't like what I'm allowed to shoot. I'm allowed to shoot deer. I'm not allowed to shoot the neighbor's cow and, you know, okay. harvest, uh, you know. So I don't much enjoy venison. Yeah. I, I'll eat it. But um, so anyway, but when when you're out there, it's not like you're you're pushing and you're working to come up with a sermon outline or to study and understand something. Something may come to mind and like your yes. brain mm-hmm. is doing the work yes. in the background and you'll have a thought, mm-hmm. but that's that's a joy. I mean, when that happens, mm-hmm. it's not work, yeah. it's not labor. Um, so even if you kind of do things which might be considered work-related, it's it's not the same as actually being in the study and again, which is a joy and a pleasure to do, but it's that can be tiring. It is work. It's labor. Uh, I mm-hmm. this past week, as of the time of the recording of this, um, one of my buddies. I have I have a series of guys either in our church or outside of our church. When the phone goes off, I know they want to talk about what they saw in the deer stand that morning. And it's kind of neat, you know. So I I answer when I can and call back when I don't. And, and this guy said, "What have you been doing this week?" I said, "Man, I've been working." He goes, what are you talking about? I thought pastors only worked one day a week. Well, I figured out I, I taught Sunday school Sunday morning. I preached Sunday morning. I preached Sunday night. And then I flew to Florida, preached for my uncles Monday night and Tuesday night. And I came back, got back into town about four o'clock in the afternoon and went and preached at my church on Wednesday night. And I was like, why am I so tired? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's work. <laughs> but uh, the, hopefully next week will be a little different as of the probably probably when this podcast drops, um, I will be 
in a deer stand and and I cool. I hope to be. So, but you know, hobbies, relaxation, all those things. We've talked a lot about that this season and I don't I don't know why. I don't think it's because we're going through anything personal. Um, but uh, maybe it's helpful to some folks to know that, you know, it's okay for a pastor to have some form of release that uh, is a distraction for them, gets their mind, like you said, Martin, sometimes when I leave town, I get more clarity just driving out of town um, than I do <laughs> sitting in my study. And so one of the big things that I think that uh, that ministry leaders, um, Christians and and pastors and, and whatnot uh, struggle with today because it's it really is a common struggle beyond ministry is uh, actual depression. And we want to talk about depression today without being depressing. So jumping into the thought of it, um, we've made a lot of notes. We've, we've not talked about this between the three of us literally at all leading up to this podcast until we logged on today to have a, like a little five minute, um, you know, briefing beforehand. Um, so let's jump right in and talk about it. First of all, I think we need to acknowledge right up front without beating around the bush is that depression is real. Okay. Depression is real. I mean, it's, it's real. We're all susceptible to it, but I think there's been somewhat of a shame that's been associated with it for a long time. Wouldn't you guys say? Oh, sure. Yeah. You can go back and this is, this is cultural. It's not just religious. Uh, Mm -hmm. what was it in the 1970s? One of Nixon's Vice presidents was discovered to have been treated by a psychiatrist or whatever, and he had to resign, yeah. uh, leave the ticket, kind of a thing. And just because it was a it was a symbol of the fact that you were a weak individual, mm-hmm. if you know it was known that you had you had dealt with depression, and I think that's changed a lot. I would say in the past twenty years. Yeah, I would say. How do you define it? I mean, what? How do you define depression in a productive way so as to begin addressing it and approaching it in your own life. Debbie Pride is a is a biblical counselor who also writes and she teaches. Um, and in her book on depression, she defined depression as sorrow without hope. Mm-hmm. And that's still the best definition I've ever come across. I think it's a wonder. I don't know if it's original with her or not, but I think it's a wonderful example of, of balancing where we're at individually with the scriptural truth of it's sorry you're experiencing, but without the hope to balance it or counterbalance it, if you will. I love that mm-hmm. definition, and, and you guys may have something different, but I like that one. I would build on that, and it's almost like it's, it's sorrow without hope, but sometimes sorrow without a reason. It's you know that feeling of depression and not even being able to identify a circumstance or a problem or anything. It's, it's just a, almost an oppressive feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Like a heaviness, that that yeah. term that I think Spurgeon used that. I think David used that heaviness. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, I, I think Spurgeon. Sorry to stutter. Uh, Spurgeon is a tremendous resource on the issue of depression because he experienced it and he wrote about it extensively. If you guys, who was it that recommended Martin? Was it you that recommended Spurgeon Sorrows, the book? Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good analysis of what Spurgeon went through and how he expressed himself, which again, looking at it as a cultural thing, um, you know, when Spurgeon spoke of it, it wasn't normal or acceptable to be, I think, broadcasting those things in the way that he did. And so uh, he, he's got a lot of very, very good words to express the the feeling and the experience of it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was actually someone who broke out of the box and was willing to discuss it for the good of others because I'm I'm sure like us he felt like it was it was a suppressed topic. But I have a quote here from something that I wrote uh, or I, I recorded. Um, copied and pasted so that I would have it, where he said, it's a great gift to have learned by experience how to sympathize. Ah, I say unto them, I have been where you are. They look at me and their eyes say, no, surely you have never felt as we do. I therefore go farther and say, if you feel worse than I did, I pity you indeed. For I could say with Job, my soul chooses strangling rather than life. I could readily enough have laid violent hands upon myself to escape from my misery of spirit. So Mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts from the Prince of Preachers. That's a pretty pretty potent uh, quote. Now, he also taught on it and he warned his students about it. And he said that you'll be the most susceptible to depression when you have prolonged illness or physical problems, uh, when you indent, when you do intense mental or heart work, when you're lonely or isolated, when your lifestyle is sedentary and you overwork your brain after success, before success, after a heavy blow, through the slow pile of trouble and discouragement and exhaustion and overworking, or it could simply come without cause, without reason, without justification, which Spurgeon considered the most painful circumstance of all. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that's a, a go ahead. That's a fascinating quote. That as you as you rolled your way through that, and I'm sure mm-hmm. I've read it before, but forgotten it. As you rolled your way through that, I'm flashing back the last forty years of my life, mm-hmm. and it's like Bing, 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 Bing. Boy, did he identify that really well. Yeah. yeah. And I I had a list of stuff from um, Elijah's life, and we'll talk about him more later, but there's a lot of crossover there. And just looking at what was happening with Elijah and some of the prompts to his finding himself in the position where he would pray and ask the Lord to take his life from him. Um, but again, Elijah was physically and emotionally exhausted. Um, but as well, yeah. he'd gotten caught up in the emotions of victory. So sometimes I think that's what can surprise us is when everything's great and we've had a big victory. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves just rock bottom. Um, He wasn't thinking realistically or clearly, you know, he, God had just given him this mighty victory and now he's worried about one woman, you know, Jezebel hundreds of miles away. Um, You know, and so again, there's more there, but uh, a lot of crossover, I think, with what Elijah went through and Spurgeon went through. And I think those two examples alone make it clear that we don't look at depression and say, it happens, don't worry about it. But we can say it happens, but we do need to do something about it to the best uh-huh. of our ability. I, I think someone posted this quote recently that um, depression is when you don't care about anything. Anxiety is when you care too much about everything. And when you experience both of those simultaneously, it can be a wild ride. Mm-hmm. And that was my that was my quote at the end. But you know, depression and anxiety. I mean, those are those are basically like commonplace words in our society now. Uh, Census Bureau's household pulse survey found that nearly fifty percent of adults ages eighteen to twenty four reported anxiety and depression symptoms in twenty twenty three. Uh, Indiana, my state, suicide's the second leading cause of death. Okay. Um, global prevalence of anxiety and depression has increased by a massive 25 percent since 2020, and so it's a it's a real struggle. Um, without, boy, I tell you what, I, I want to get into. I think for the sake of those who are listening and and who are taking the time to listen to this, you know, it'd be helpful if we talked a little bit about personal experience, and that that may be dicey and hard, and and I don't know how we want to approach it. So, you know, move through this as quickly or as slowly as we want, I guess, but. You know, how, how has that affected each of us? Um, 
do you think that some people are more prone to depression than others? Uh, How do we we dive into that part of the conversation, guys? Help me out here. (laughs) I do think some people are more prone to it because I think all of us have strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And we have, and they're different, and yeah, obviously, in in for different people. And so, some people are more prone to that as a weakness. Right. I think people who are more emotional, and that's not a criticism. I think people who are more emotional, the higher you get, the lower you can get. Their range mm-hmm. is is bigger, top and bottom, um, and often they're less even tempered, so to speak. Um, I think people that are more contemplative. Uh, more um, partly because they're isolated more often, but they're more prone to be to be thinking, you know, con- alone, private, mm-hmm. examining things. They tend to be more depressed, I think. And I think our society has produced things that have that have increased both of those. Uh, people are people and have been people in every generation, but I think people are more depressed now than before due to things like social media. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of studies that show that as social media and phone usage have gone up, we've isolated ourselves even while, mm-hmm. you know, constructing this other world. And it, it's statistically proven that vast more numbers of young people are depressed than were depressed previously. I yeah. think, and there's, there's other things enter into that, but I think that's a, that's a big factor to it. Well, I think that we're the most connected and least relational generation ever. Ever so well, that's that's a fascinating statement. Well, we've we've become so connected, we become less relational. Therefore, we are more isolated. I mean, I was thinking about this just this week. It's like it's possible to be lonely, surrounded by mm-hmm. people. I mean, you can be lonely in a marriage. You can be lonely in a in a in a relationship with with anyone. I mean, you you know, it's you can be lonely in a church. I mean, I find people all the time, and I try to I try to look for people, and I can't solve the, all of their problems. I wish. I wish I could fix this in everyone, but we know that's not the way it works. But I see people in church and I see them lonely. And I think, man, you know, and and by the way, the bigger the church gets, the easier it is for people to isolate within Mm -hmm. the church. So don't think that just because you're around people or, or you, you say, well, I'm around people all the time. Yeah. That being around them doesn't mean that you're plugged in. It doesn't mean that you're actually present, um, in your mind. Some people are naturally more melancholy, and yes. and a strength of that can be that they they're more prone to contemplation. They're more prone to thinking things through, being more philosophical. But then the downside of that is the you know that that tendency to depression. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree that uh, some people are more prone to it than others for a variety of reasons. Uh, but then picking up on what you said about social media and just lifestyles now. Um, we're more connected to people that don't really matter, not in the sense that they don't matter to God, but we can be more concerned about people's opinions of us that really it doesn't matter what they think and less connected with the family and friends and pastor and church family immediately around us. Um, And so you end up with everything you were saying. You get to that place where you feel like David, where he said, no man cared for my soul. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew about him, but nobody knew him. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought David up because that's, that's something that that's where I've kind of landed in my study of this topic is Psalm 42 and 43, where David is saying, you know, my, we get the song as the deer panteth for the water, as the heart panteth for the water brook, so longeth my soul after the Lord. And what, what he's indicating there is that he's thirsting for God, but he's not satisfied because verse three, and this is a, this was a transformational verse for me. 
My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? So I love the poetic nature of David's Psalms. Obviously, that's what they are, is poetry. Um, But that phrase where he said, my tears are my meat, they are his constant, they are are what he is devouring. And then his tears are also talking to him. And they said, where is your God? Where is your God? Mm -hmm. It's interesting how the depression can oftentimes show up and we don't notice it right away, right? So David had to identify all of the different clues to his depression. He said, my countenance is is downcast. My appetite physically is affected. I'm very emotional. He said, I'm emotionally drained. I'm emotional. Uh, all of those things. It's almost like it's almost like it dawns on him, oh, I'm here. So I think people find themselves there without realizing that they're getting there. But I also think that that depression, this is where I have to be careful. I don't want to send the wrong message that that someone is just like a terrible person because they're depressed. I think we've already established that's not what we believe. Um, but depression is often rooted in doubt. Okay, the tears are saying to him, where is thy God? And that's what a lot of people ask when they're depressed is, where are you in this, Lord? Where where are you? Um, Arby Willette, who we had on our prod, bod, uh, excuse me, podcast last season, you know, he just recently had his vocal cords removed. And he put a quote on Twitter that he re- he said, I'm reminded of a pastor friend of mine who he said who said to me, it's not wrong to ask God why so long as you are satisfied with his answer. Mm-hmm. Even if that answer is silence. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, David is a great example for that. And he's, he's a great, um, that demonstration of writing things out. They do say for depressed people, you know, very often write things down and, mm-hmm there is a, a process of revelation where you you get to the end of it and we're not going to be poets like david but we can get something down on paper and then read it back to ourselves and it's it's uh kind of a re- you know it's come from our own minds but it's almost a revelation to us to see it in that format mm, that's very good yeah tom you're an author have you experienced that as as being true absolutely mm-hmm. i think i first started writing um as a teenager going through depression, I was depressed as a teenager. I didn't recognize that Mm. then I recognize that in retrospect now. Um, and, uh, I first started writing by writing poetry. I probably wrote a hundred poems as a teenager. Mm. And Mm. most of those have not seen the light of day. Every once in a while I'll publish one on my blog and I still write poetry occasionally, but, um, not near the same rate I did when I was a teenager. Right. I had a similar experience. The first stuff I wrote was poetry and some of it was like silly little glib things that I would pass notes with friends in class. Um, but I, I think I didn't go through severe depression, but I think I had times of great, you know, just very, being very down and maybe even depressed. I don't know. But um, again, writing things out and poetry again, and the same thing, most have never, never been been seen. Um, and probably never will. Some of it was pretty awful, but at the time it kind of helped me to, to process things. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze, but you guys are basically saying that your experience matches up with what we've already said, which is, you know, Martin, you said, maybe I was depressed. I don't know. Tom said, I don't think I was realized. I don't think I realized I was depressed at the time. Mm-hmm. And that, that is where a lot of people, that's what a lot of people will say. Because they say, "Oh yeah, I, I I didn't even know I was depressed." It's almost like you, it's almost like you have to identify it 
after you've been in it a little bit and you go, oh, this is what it is. And and that's where the the battle is, right, is identifying it. Well, the, 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 the criticism that goes that way is, you know, you're foisting a diagnosis, you know, afterwards for something that didn't really happen and creating a victim status. But that's not the case. The illustration is of someone who essentially has a headache every day. And so for them, it's normal. Mm-hmm. And it's not until they come to realize through a variety of circumstances and doctor's appointments and treatments, this is not normal and this is not right and it needs fixed. There are people mm-hmm. who are just sad constantly. It's the way they function. And until they realize that that is not normal and not healthy, they 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 struggle to, to understand it and then to try to address it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can I come at this from another angle because that's very good. I think, I think what we're talking about now is that some people are um, naturally prone. Martin, you mentioned that some people are more melancholy than others. Um, Tom, you mentioned that, you know, like you you don't, it's just normal for your life. Now I'm going to come at it from a different angle because my personality is such that I'm not very, I'm not a depressive type. I I don't trend toward depression. Um, I tend to, I tend more toward the optimistic. I'm not saying I am an optimist. I've had to temper that as well. Um, but but that's kind of who I am, right? So I think that people on my end of the spectrum, if I can use that word, um, our depression is circumstantial. And so it can be because of events. Um, it can be because of uh, life changes. It can be because of aging I know I'm young guys, but I have noticed like a change in my psyche and how I process things over the last five years. My, my brother's two years younger than me. And he goes, man, you sure have had a lot of ailments the last couple of years. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, buddy. And, and I say that and my parents go, you don't even know what you're talking about. Just wait, you know, yeah, but, right, yeah. but, but I've noticed that I'm just saying like for me, different life changes, d- just probably just getting a little bit older. David, I think was probably a bit melancholy. He, he, I don't know. He was a fighter. So, I mean, that doesn't, I guess you could be a melancholy and a fighter, but also he said the waves and the billows are gone over me. I mean, David went through some of the most traumatic experiences of anyone in scripture, people betraying him at a young age, people attacking him at a young age, all those different things. Um, and this is where I, I really pray for our law enforcement, military, and people who deal with PTS, uh, PTSD is that sometimes depression and anxiety are not a part of the equation until something happens and that something triggers and that something is then in our mind it connected with something very personal. Um, and so people who like myself, and I'm, I'm trying to be careful not to use myself as an illustration in a, in a way that could be unhelpful here. I don't know if that makes sense, but people like myself tend to experience the depressing side of things experientially, circumstantially, Whereas others, I think, have a, a personality that trends more toward a downward style of thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're not likely just to get up out or you know, have a time in the day where you're like, man, I just don't feel good. I'm down. I, you know, And all the, the descriptions of depression, you don't get mm-hmm. it. But it's when things happen around you um, that mm-hmm. you can end up depressed. But it's, it's not a, a natural reaction. Yeah, I, I have. I, I will say I have those times much less than others. 
Right. So, I mean, I, there are some times where like one thing I've had to learn about myself is, and this has been since college is like, I have a two o'clock fade two o'clock during the day, whatever it is about my schedule. And I'm sure it's my diet. I'm sure it's, you know, things like that. But about two o'clock, I got to get some protein, man. I got to take a walk. I got to do something. I got to get out of my office. Um, and I start to get real, real anxious about stuff, you know, like, like, man, I, 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 it's hard to focus. So, so I do have that. I mean, I, I think that's fair to say, but mm-hmm. I don't live, I do not live there. It's not the Spurgeon level of depression, nope. you know, from what you're saying, you know, not to put words in your mouth, but what he experienced yeah. was different. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. One of the words that I hadn't thought of until this very moment, and I should have in, in my preparation for this podcast is the word brokenness. Yes. It, it, mm-hmm. it is. I believe that the Lord uses these things mm-hmm. when we yield ourselves to him. He uses even our even our weaknesses uh, mm-hmm. to to form us into the image of Christ. I think yes. Paul shows us that. Uh, and I think you find numerous examples of that in the Word of God. But God sometimes brings us to the place of being broken because in being broken, we then allow him to rummage around in all those pieces and form a mosaic that makes him look beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. I don't. I don't think you ever find Paul gives us any indication that he is a, a naturally depressed person. I don't. I don't think. No, I don't I think, think I would Paul that way. But I, I would. I would David. Yes, and I would right. Job. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. that's what I was actually getting ready to jump right on next. It's like you have David and you have Paul, two totally different personality types. But Paul did find himself in places of brokenness exhaustion you know he said beside this i have the care of all the churches so the the weight now this was mm-hmm. something that i re- we were when i was reading through spurgeon's list that he was teaching his students i want to go back so i don't get it wrong i got it here he said through a slow pile of trouble and discouragement i don't know if you guys have ever faced depression uh, a friend of ours um rich savatsky he calls it death by paper cut you know it's just like a bunch of little things <laughs> and and that's in in um in dealing with these things, in training for this kind of stuff, right? They they use the analogy of the backpack, right? You put a put a rock in the backpack, and every time you put one in, if you don't take it out, then you're gonna another one's gonna get put in, and another one, and finally, it could be the tiniest little pebble, and they call it this. The statement is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, it's like people who who don't struggle with. It. I heard, I had a pastor say to me, he said, "I don't get depressed," just like that. I remember it on the phone the way he said it, and I went, "Oh." don't say yes. that, you know? Yes, yes, yes. And then through circumstances later on, he went through some pretty big battles and I, I went, ah, oh. and he, he even knew, you know, I didn't do it. I told you so, but he's, he kind of, we had a few knowing, knowing glances, uh, in the future that he said, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, I felt so, that with, um, kind of newlyweds when they're like, oh, we never yeah. argue. And I'm like, well, Okay. I never try and convince him otherwise, but, um, you know, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. So that, I think it's just, it's, it can be universal. Like don't think that just because you don't struggle with it because of the type of personality you have, that you won't struggle with it through circumstances that come into your life. Um, and, and, and then the other thing is how do you identify it? Okay. That, that's the, that's a really important part because 
identification is not solving the problem. It's understanding what you're actually dealing with. It's like someone who has stomach pain for years only to find out they've got a gallbladder issue or something. It's like, oh, well, now we know what I can do about it. You know, you have yeah, to and identify you don't want to make a mountain out of You don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. No. And I think, Tom, you alluded to this earlier. I think there is the danger in, in our times of an overdiagnosis. Um, and sometimes that can be counterproductive. But I, I don't know. As far as the definition, I, mean, I think I like what you said earlier, Tom, but I think a difference between just feeling sad and down and actually having true depression is when it starts stopping you from living life, when it's it makes it difficult to to fulfill your obligations or even a, an emotional numbness when you're going through the motions, but there's just nothing there. It's, I, I would, I would add to that, that it is, that it extends over a period of time. It's not yes. you're having a bad day. It's that this, you know, this desire to sleep, this desire to be alone, this desire not to do anything, this, you know, this weariness of life, this, this borderline bitterness, that it goes on day after day, week after week, month after month. It's, mm-hmm. th- that's when it's a your soul is deeply bruised at that point. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not a an isolated event. It's not something you're going to bounce back from. It's it, this is a, this is a deep injury that needs to be dealt with. And I'm sure there's right. much better and much more eloquent and much more descriptive definitions of how to understand when you're depressed, but. Um, I, I think that's an essential part of it, that it continues for, for some length. I think you hit on an important element of it there is the longevity of it. I think the the clinical diagnosis of it, you know, you have to have a certain amount of the symptoms over a two-week period. And and it doesn't mean if it's, you know, 11 and not 12 days or whatever that you don't, you don't take it seriously. But there, there's got to be some, um, like I said, it's not just a bad day. It's It's more than that. So we've talked a lot about, you know, what it looks like and and how it comes. How do we respond to it? If we if we want to help people with this podcast. Right. And of course we're not doctors and we're not experts in this. Mm-mm. But we do want to help people. So, you know, what advice, counsel, perspective, opinion can we share that will that will give people some encouragement, some hope? Martin, I th- think earlier you mentioned Elijah and there are probably some really practical helps in his story that would help us if if you want to sh- you, you mentioned getting back to that I don't know if now is a good time to jump back into that yeah I mean I just kind of went through you know I was thinking more along the lines of what caused his his depression in the first place um, but you know thinking about what happened with him I know that the Lord I mean the Lord saw him out which I think is a comfort for the depressed is that you know, God isn't mm. saying, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, come and see me when you're ready. But the Lord sought him. Um, and he, I think the Lord as well addressed some simple issues. And if I'm speaking with someone, I want to address the simple issues, you know, such as diet, exercise. Have you spent out time just outside, go for a walk? You know, are there simple things for a, a low level kind of depression that can be addressed? Um, but I think, you know, the Lord did more with Elijah than just those kind of surface issues. He, he ministered to him, the angels ministered to him. And I think it would be right to bring scripture into that. Um, mm-hmm. and you've been pointing out the, you know, the, the benefit of Psalm 42, 43, mm-hmm. uh, something as well that I always 
kind of missed until last year when I was preaching through his life. I always looked at Elisha as his replacement. Have you ever heard that, that Elisha was going to be the replacement for Elijah? Yeah, yeah. But the more I looked at it, I thought that is true. But Elisha, I think, was also going to be a friend. You know, it, it was a mm. it was a task for Elijah to have, which was, again, it's necessary for people to depress. I think it helps to gird up and, and do something, um, wh- which, again, uh, that's an oversimplification. But I think having purpose can help deal with those depressed feelings. But Elisha wasn't just going to be a project. He wasn't going to be his replacement. I think he was going to be a friend in the ministry. And and you m- mentioned that as well, uh, Stephen, at the beginning there about dealing with it within the community of the local church and mm-hmm. not isolating yourself. So I think there's a few things there with Elisha, uh, Elijah that are beneficial to consider and to put into practice, whether for ourselves or to advise others. When you look at that passage in 1 Kings 19 where he's suicidal and God is dealing with him, one of the things that, that he does, of course, he takes it to the Lord, um, but but God God comes to him and essentially says, Elijah, you need to change your perspective. Because remember, he says, I'm the only yeah. one that's left. And God says to him, no, there's 7,000 others. Yeah. And part of, of a healthy response to depression or a wise response to depression is to essentially stop looking at things from our perspective Yes, and attempt to discover God's perspective on that same situation. And I realize we're flawed creatures. We see through a glass darkly. We can't understand all that God says and does. But God God says to Elijah, stop looking at it just from your perspective and look at it from mine. And although the Bible doesn't expand on how that developed in Elijah's life and the rest of that, of that passage, mm-hmm. I think that's a key thing in dealing with depression, which is to Depression is rooted in in loss. I did a long blog series last year, 26 posts on suffering, and suffering is rooted in loss. Depression is rooted in loss. And when you when you have lost and lost and lost and lost and lost things you care about, whether it's your health or your children or your parents or dreams or goals or any number of, of, of things, when you've lost so much, you, f- you focus on that loss. And God comes along and says, don't focus on what you lost, focus on what you gained. To use a different illustration, Paul said, all those things I lost, I counted but dung that I might gain Christ. Mm-hmm. He looked at it from a different perspective. And God does the same thing with Elijah. He gets Elijah to look at it from a different perspective, look at it from my perspective. And I think that's something that you can't necessarily just do once, but it's a thought process you have to teach yourself to look at your yes. loss, not from your point of view, but from God's point of view. What's he doing with that? How's he using that in your life and others' lives? Well, and I think that you, you're really touching on something. And as as you guys are talking, I'm, I'm organizing my thoughts in my brain into four categories. So the, the identification, the diagnosis, and the addressing of the issue is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So with the mm-hmm. physical, we talked so much about that this year. Um, I don't know that it bears a lot of repeating, but rest, Elijah needed rest, um, diet, that's a huge one. If you get out of, if you get off of all sugar and, uh, and grains and dairy and things like that for a period of time, or if you even fast, you, the, the first thing they say after you get through that initial three or four day slump is that you come out sharper with your mind. And so the physical affects those things. You're able to think with more clarity and all of that. But then the mental, Tom, that's what you're really hitting on that I think is so biblical. And this is where the Bible can be such a help to people who are going through this. And here's here's what I mean by this. 
you have to change your perspective is what you said. You could we could use the word mindset, right? So you have to you have to have a different mindset. And for me, where I go to immediately and I'm thinking for my own benefit here is the Bible actually helps us to anticipate the natural course of what these things look like. You know, the Bible is filled with um, phases or steps. You know, I think of the book of James, sin, when it's finished, bring forth death, where you have lust, temptation, sin, death, right? You have those steps toward death. With depression, I think it's important for people to realize it can be cyclical, where you can be up and then you can be down, and then you can be up again, and you can be down. David, three different times in Psalm 42 and 43, he is he is down, but then he says, why art thou cast down on my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And then he goes back down again. He goes, Lord, my soul is cast down, and, and all of these things. And then he goes, wait a minute, the loving kindness of God is with me. So the cyclical nature of depression is that the flesh naturally, some many times through circumstances or through even through physical issues, can pull us down. But every time there were two realities that brought David up, and that was praise and the realization of truth in spite of the circumstance. He said, God is the health of my countenance and my God. You have in the first part of the psalm where his tears are talking to him saying, where is your God? And he goes, well, he's right here. He said, he's the God of my, of my, uh, the help of my countenance. And he said, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That's the actual wording there. I got that wrong the first time. So David's upswing, if you will, and I'm not trying to say they were mood swings, but every time he reminded himself of the reality of God, he was brought back to a place of peace in his mind. But don't be surprised if through depression you don't find yourself there and then not there in the same 60-second period of time. All that does is help me realize that's normal. Mm-hmm. Okay, the doctor's yep. going to tell you here. Going to here's the side effects of our treatment. Here's the side effects of your of your sickness. The Bible's going to say here is how things worked for David. It can be very much the same for you. But every yeah. time David went toward God in his mind, uh, that's where you see the upswing. So the mental side of that is that mindset, perspective, whatever you want to call it, and that's what's such a blessing. And I think Spurgeon kind of spoke to that sense of it being something that may come back. Um, He said, I note that some whom I greatly love and esteem, who are in my judgment among the very choicest of God's people, nevertheless travel most of the way to heaven by night. And, you know, that's, um, again, just recognizing that some are more prone to it and some it's going to be something they cycle back to. Um, And I think it's not saying that you're constantly going to be a victim to it, but like you said, if you can identify it and diagnose with it, I've heard some people say that once they can identify it, they can deal with it more quickly or they can even prevent it to a degree when they start seeing those symptoms, you know, show themselves, they can mm-hmm. head it off at the pass a little bit and start making the changes to address it. Yeah, but another an, another thought to that is that remember what you're trying to identify you're trying to identify the reality of it, not the cause of it in every case. Because much depression is causeless, so to speak. Right. Yes and no. Understood. I mean, and, I, and you're probably going to give the balance to my statement. Go ahead. No, but I mean, you, you agree with me about that. Uh, yes. Depression sometimes comes and you can't pinpoint a reason. 
but that doesn't mean there's not a cause. Sure. And I think this is one, or we haven't talked about this yet. That that's I think a distinction is, without a difference, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm not sure you're right about that. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I digress. The, the, we haven't talked about this aspect of it is, and this is where I think this is very beneficial, is counsel. Yes. So a, okay. a, a counselor um, can ident- help, you, help you identify causes and reasons for the for the the depression that you're experiencing mm-hmm. that you didn't see as causes or reasons. And again, you mm-hmm. got to be careful with that. That you don't, you know, my mother didn't give me enough cod liver oil. That whole nonsense. Yeah, but a a good and I'm a proponent of biblical counseling, which is more than just let's have a chat after the service. It's a it's a whole different discipline or or way of looking at counseling where. You want to peel back the layers of what causes someone to act the way they act and deal with those root reasons that they're sure. thinking. And and when you do that with depression, when you can sit with a biblical counselor who's had some experience and they can unpack the things in your life that are causing this, either your wrong thinking or your wrong response to external stimuli or internal stimuli, that they can then begin to give you the tools to deal with those sorts of things. This is, yes. and this is where we bring up a, a different thing, not to add too much into one one thought here. But I'm not against medicine for dealing with depression. I think in some cases it can be useful and helpful, but medicine just masks it. Medicine doesn't help mm-hmm. you cure it. It just it just masks the emotional highs and lows for the most part. And I think right. to get to the underlying real causes and reasons and then address those biblically, I think counsel can be a very big part of that and a very mm-hmm. big help. I agree. Yeah, because it's hard to see it's really hard to see when you're the one in the fog. Uh, that's a great illustration. Yep. Somebody has got to be above what's going on, seeing it, showing in that. And I think that this is the beauty of God's, God's church is that God has equipped some people um, to be able to help others through that. And, and so that biblical new authentic counseling is vital because you know I've, I'm even now where I'm at in my ministry realizing that some some things that I need in order to keep continue growing in ministry and in the Christian life, but I'm specifically speaking to ministry, requires some coaching and some some counsel and somebody who's been there, someone with some wisdom I don't have, and there is someone out there that has the answer given by God through His Word that can help in that, and we we have to be willing. That's where. Again, I just in my mind, I'm thinking about the the culture of law enforcement, all of those things. I'm thankful to say that that law enforcement tend to be more willing now to get help than they ever have. I'm thankful for that, right? A lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of the guys who are coming out of uh, high school, going into college, and then graduating uh, or going into law enforcement as young men, and I, for better or for worse, I'm just stating the obvious here. They had school counselors. They had people in their school where they were, and again, I'm not saying it was all biblical, but the mindset is shifting. We need that to shift within the church. We need people to say there's no shame in getting counsel. Um, and when you need it, you run to that. And so I think that's a huge part of it. And I'm glad that Tom remembered to bring it up anyway, <laughs> because you got to have it. Uh, David David said, you know, I will go into the altar of the Lord unto the God of my exceeding joy but one of the things that he also said was, I, I went up with the multitude to the house of God and the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the holy day. I think not only do you need counsel, you need company. You need to be with people. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I heard a yes. preacher say years ago, he said, he said, when you want to be alone, a lot of times that's when you don't need to be alone. And he was talking about being overwhelmed and depressed. He wasn't talking about alone studying or whatever. He said, but he said, those are the times you need to go seek out company. That's where we need strong believers in good churches who are willing to be an ear with wisdom, not just for gossip and venting and all that. I mean, we, there's time for venting, but people who can sit and listen and love and care and pray with a brother or sister in Christ, um, we need that so desperately. So don't be a, don't ignore the phone calls, you know. Um, the more people who are open and honest about it, the more likely it is for you to be able to say, you know, brother so-and-so went through something like this. I'm going to speak to him. Um, or mm-hmm. for a lady, maybe that they speak to one of the ladies and say, hey, you mentioned before that you you struggled with being depressed or discouraged, you know. And, and when these things are dealt with openly, I, I think it, it keeps that conversation going and it's a, a help to everyone. I also think it helps if you're in a in a church environment. Of course, we're we're pastors, but all of our listeners attend churches. If you're in a church environment where people are encouraged to seek help rather yes. than uh, whipped from the pulpit that they're weak. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, that's good. I I was in a man. What, what, okay, when I was out west, I went to a, a church of one of our listeners, actually, Bruce Burkett young pastor about my age, a little younger in Colorado. And we just stopped in there for Sunday morning church. And I realized I hadn't been in a Sunday morning service in a church outside of my church or my wife's home church probably in 10 years. Wow. Like, unless I was preaching it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I may have preached out, but I'm talking about going in, sitting down. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even wear a suit and tie. I mean, I had like jeans on. Okay. This was, that's it. We can't, we got to separate. Compromise. I'm, I'm a compromiser, but but I went in there, and, and the sermon that morning was on resting in the Lord. It was on the Lord of the Sabbath, and I made a bunch of notes that day on how can Faithway Baptist Church be a place of rest. And one of those was just that it's got to be a place where people can come to receive the rest that is in Jesus. And if that's going to happen, they're going to have to be there. Will have to be tender-hearted people in the pews. It can't just be the pastor. I can't talk to everybody anymore. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm limited in my capacity. So there have to be people, Christians, who are willing to be wise, scriptural, spiritual listeners and love one another and be willing to go out of their way to help someone in need. I, I just think that's imperative. So don't isolate yourself, I guess. That's a that's a big deal. Doubt thrives in isolation. I read this the other day, and I've used it already in preaching, but two people in the New Testament who doubted, one was John the Baptist, the other was Thomas. John the Baptist doubted the identity of the Savior. Thomas doubted the activity of the Savior. And both of them isolated and found their doubt in isolation. And so you need company. You need to be around mm-hmm. people, even when you don't feel like it. Uh, and even if you're an introvert, um, you need to be around people. That's good. Uh, and kind of building on that, I think this is one of the reasons why it's necessary to be in church regularly so that yes. your community can look and say, Hey, are you doing okay? Um, there are some people, if they miss a church service, it's so normal. You don't immediately think, okay, there's, um, you know, something, something's up. Or you don't see them regularly enough to be able to identify changes in their mood and behavior to be able to approach them and say, Hey, right. look, you look like you're struggling. So, you know, be in church enough that people are going to notice when, you're not, you're not doing so well. One of our ladies in the church the other day, she said, Hey, just to let you know, I'm going to be gone this Sunday. 
Um, I'm letting people know because usually if I miss a Sunday, I end up with like, you know, a bunch of phone calls because I never miss. And so when I do, everyone's like, oh, something's wrong. Something's up. Um, so be in church enough that you're missed and it's not thought unusual that you're not there or usual that you're not there. Man, I agree with that. And I will say it's not the only thing that's going to help you with your with your issues. But man, I, I am so much more convinced of the need of church membership or attendance rather than I ever have been because I'm seeing mm-hmm. how weak people grow and become when they're not with the assembly. It's just, it's like lately, I'm like, come on, come on. And I, and I don't want to be one of these guys that stands up and, and uses the pulpit as a whipping post and and it can sound yeah. self-serving, but I'm telling you, it is not self-serving of a pastor to say, you really need to be in church. You've got to be there. It's it's a huge, huge part of what will help you through anything. Um, so that being said, well, fascinating conversation today, gentlemen. I, we have a couple minutes left. Are there any final notes, thoughts, things we want to say? We have We have one more episode left in this season of the Issues Podcast. One more. Well, I would just say that, you know, if you're one of our listeners, um, you know, if, if you're in a congregation and you're struggling, reach out to your pastor. Um, yes. If you're a pastor or if you're just someone who listens and you don't feel like you've got someone you can speak to, contact us. You know, we, we yes. can't help everyone. We'll do everything we can to help everyone we can. But reach out to us and just tell us, mm-hmm. hey, I'm struggling. That really hit home. And we will do what we can to help you because I think all of us, to some degree or another, have been there, and we want to we want to help. Amen. I'd I'd like to throw here in a man we haven't talked about uh, because I think it's a good way to to sort of wrap this up. And of course, we obviously have only touched on the issue, as we say so often in these discussions. There's so much more to to look at in relation to this, but we haven't mentioned Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the weeping prophet. He endured an enormous amount of suffering in his ministry. He wrote the book of the Bible called Lamentations. But he says in Lamentations mm-hmm. chapter 3, and I love this, he says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Mm. And for a man who experienced all the loss and suffering that he did to express hope, he goes on to say, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. He uses that word hope twice within four verses. And he talks about putting his perspective on eternity, on the Lord, on the Lord's blessing and goodness, on the Lord's attributes. And that's how he carried through. When he had nothing else to cling to, he could cling to God. It reminds me of Paul in the in the dungeon. Rejoice in the Lord. It is the Lord. It always Amen. must come back to him. Amen. Well, wonderful thoughts for us today. We hope someone's helped by it. Um, Also, join us next Monday at 10 a.m. as of the time of the release of this podcast anyway, uh, which is November the 27th, I believe. Is that correct? November the 27th? Yes, sir. Something like that. Yep. 10 a.m. We'll have our final live episode. We'll go over feedback. Uh, Anyone who wants to submit feedback, please do so. And we will acknowledge as much of that as we possibly can during the time that we have. We have a very interesting topic that we'd like to cover that's very, very practical. I mean, it's like it's like so practical. I'm almost thinking, why are we ending 
the uh, the season on this note, but it, it'll be good. And, and I'm looking forward to it. We'll have some fun with it. And uh, we look forward to fellowshipping with those who can make it uh, to joining us on the live and interacting with us there. That's always a lot of fun. I want to give a shout out to our editor, Landon Street, who just became, I was just recently voted in as a pastor of a new church as a young man in his 20s. And so really great and exciting things happening in his life. I think he's also engaged, getting ready to get married. Just some awesome things there. Appreciate his help this year. It's been awesome to have him on the team. And uh, we'll look forward to joining everybody next week. Thanks for listening to the Issues Podcast. Podcast.